This is the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I'm Joel Metzger, and this is part two of a live panel on sports advertising and branding at General Assembly in Santa Monica. LA Chapter President Phil Reventish is your moderator. So let's join the discussion already in progress. Hey, I want to move on to influencers for a minute. Um, Andy Riddick's US Open coverage um, was sponsored by Grey Goose and Chase. So for my sponsorship and partnership guys on the panel, uh, can this affect team messaging and can this be a licensing nightmare for both teams and venues? Well, it's it the, it's proves that it's real when you see what happened, um, you know, with Andy and with Grey Goose and with Chase. Um, you know, Twitter this year paid uh, ten million dollars in a rights fee just to stream the the Thursday night football package, and so um, and that package is, is out to bid again. And now you have um, YouTube looking at it, Amazon, uh, and Facebook in the mix, and so. You know the extent to uh, what where, where that goes and, and how that um, continues will be interesting to keep an eye on and, and how the brands integrate themselves, how they continue to dip a toe into it. But it's it's very real. Yeah, I mean definitely. The, you know the two things you look at are celebrities and you look at uh, your actual local influencers who have maybe more organic social reach. And I think you know one of the unique things we did uh, back in the playoffs is. Uh, Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute from The Office, sent us a tweet about getting free tickets, and we said only if we can deliver them in Jello. And so what we did is we put his tickets in Jello, we delivered to him, we asked him, you have to tweet this out and we'll give you the tickets. He retweeted our tweet and, you know, just talk about creating a relationship, leveraging your partners, and leveraging some pop culture. Like, it goes back to our social media team that's just like, okay, we'll do this. Now, his actual tickets weren't in Jell-O, don't worry. Uh, it's not like he had to scan tickets with Jell-O dripping off of them. But, uh, it, I mean, it just played really, really well. And so it's like leveraging that. And then it's also, you know, it's showing the experience. So much about sports is telling the experience. Uh, you know, there's times when your team's not so good. There's times when your team's great. But there's nothing like being at a live event. And I think that's a, something that a lot of us uh, face right now is, you know, TVs are bigger, there's VR, there's everything coming out, but we still need to fill our buildings. So how do you showcase that experience is unique that you can only get it when you're there? And so that's something that we try to do through photo, through videos, uh, through really unique shots that kind of highlight things. And we'll tap celebrities, we'll talk, tap local influencers, and we'll also kind of do that through our own story. I think um, for us, when once again, when we were last, especially last year when we didn't have a stadium or anything to build, um, you know, we needed ways to just raise awareness in general about LAFC and our existence. And but we also another core pillar of ours is um, authenticity of the sport and um, uh, authenticity to kind of like the fans who do support us already. And um, but we were lucky to, I mean, we're lucky on our ownership. For example, in our ownership group, we have some folks like. Will Ferrell, Mia Hamm, Magic, you know, obviously very well-known um, people who have a, you know, true, not only monetary, but I think, uh, you know, in their heart, a vested interest in LAFC. And so when they were open to doing it, we, we didn't, you know, we never paid anybody and hardly even asked. And it was more just when they had an interest in organically uh, posting about LAFC or like, you know, Will Ferrell was cool to just show up randomly at one of our academy events one day. Um, you know, that itself helped us. And then, um, you know, one thing I think that gained some helped us gain some uh, influence last year was just we have a, a snapback cap um, with our logo on it. And this is in LA. You have it. I like it. Um, nice. Uh, so, you know, we were just lucky because like some 
celebrities just kind of gravitated towards it. So, um, you know, for better or worse, Justin Bieber, no matter what you think about him, has a huge following. And he happened to just get one on his own and kind of post a picture with him wearing it. Linkin Park just put it on a bed, just released a new album, and they have it on. And Chris Paul and, you know, just a bunch of folks um, just seemed to like it from a fashion point of view, and that helped us. Um, so, you know, but we were always very careful not to pay anybody to do it uh, just because we wanted to always, as we were kind of growing our little baby brand, you know, really wanted to make sure it was authentic because people can smell it a mile away sometimes when those things don't happen uh, truly. Just a key on what you said, I think the key with celebrities, you know, is finding the celebs that are truly passionate about your team and your sport. That's where it works. I mean, obviously Will's involved, you know, with um, with the football club, but he's also a huge Kings fan. He wore a cap to yeah, the Kings game. I know, I we know tweeted at you guys. I know, I know. You got you some, guys you got some love off that. that. <laughs> you got some love off that. Um, we didn't get the, yeah, yeah. There's a wall between yeah. us. <laughs> you know, but you, you got to find the, the, the folks, or ideally you find the folks that love your sport and are passionate about it. And again, it's the same thing like any fan. They want to unlock their passion about it. They want to talk about it. They want to engage. And it's always going to be way more authentic when they're, when they're fans. And one thing that, uh, that Aaron said that, that I thought about in terms of the, the, the in-game experience, and again, I'm going to brag on them because, you know, I don't do it, is our in-game experience. And Staples Center's got the greatest lasers for Kings games. We've got unbelievable sound system. We've got everything you could think of. But I'll tell you, the thing that gets people the most excited is when they see themselves or some other fan on the Jumbotron. And that speaks to the communal um, aspect, the social sort of connection that you feel with people when you're at a sporting event. And that's, I think, unique to live events, live music. And um, it's highlighting the fans and celebrating their experience in your game that I think is as or more compelling than any special effect that you're going to bring because it has to do with the connections and memories that you're making with your friends, your family, your kids at that game. And, oh, wait, I'm up on the Jumbotron. It's the coolest thing in the world. And that's what I look at during the game when the fans are up there. Like, it's, it's the best. It's the best part of it. And that's what's special about sports and live events. So that actually leads into my next question. It really does. It's my, my next question. So, you know, so people have got great TVs at home. They're in the comfort of their living room. So from an experiential standpoint, how do you get those fans into the stadium? Do you guys want to pick it up? Make them... Make them feel like they can really affect the outcome of the game would be one thing. Now, that's, that's easier said than done. And I hate to use this as an example because they're a bitter division rival, but the Seattle Seahawks and their whole 12th man concept. I mean, those fans are so crazy that they think that they can impact the outcome of the game by getting loud and creating offsides penalties. And so just one, one example, if, if you're able to try to get your fans to feel like the, their presence is helping the team and can, and can help contribute to a win. Well, and they share that trademark, 12th man, with um, Texas A&M. They actually share the trademark for the 12th man, which, you know, gets, gets to your point exactly. They're using that as a tool. I mean, touching on what you said, community, uh, you know, nothing like being there with other fans that you can kind of share it with and share the, share the joy, share the passion. I mean, you know, the sport brings out passion. It brings out emotion. And, and so often we don't get that in our daily lives. You know, we kind of run through and do our job and go home and do it again the next day. And I think, you know, sitting up and watching the fans during a game and watching the range of emotions is amazing. And I think that's really what it connects. And when you have that emotions and you can connect to somebody next to you and share with that, it just kind of deepens that experience. So, you know, really kind of telling the story. I mean, it, it's getting tougher and tougher. And there's, you know, especially with L.A., I mean, we're going to have 10 professional sports teams, you know, two in every of the big five. 
you know, you've got everything else out here too. Uh, you know, so it, it's getting tougher and tougher and the amount of money is not going up. You know, it's the same amount of entertainment dollars and, and we all have to become more creative with how we do it and price our tickets right and put on a good experience and create that passion, that community. Yeah, for us, it's been uh, it's ambiance. That's that's what we try to make sure that we give to our fans. Um, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys been to a steakhouse and you walk out of there and you all you did had was a small piece of meat and you paid three hundred dollars for it. What did you pay for? You paid for the ambiance. You can cook that steak at home, but it's not the same thing. So that that's kind of the experience that we try to to put together for our fans. Um, you know, you you can watch the game at home and you can get very much excited about the game action, uh, but being there, uh, to your point, being there with you know, 20,000 of your fellow Laker lovers, it, it makes a difference. You, you can be loud, you're not gonna wake up the baby. You can, you can have a couple beers, you have a sitter. You can, you can actually enjoy the, the full experience. Um, and you know, excuse me, I have a, I I have a buddy here. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what, what we try to do from beginning to end. Uh, obviously, I'm a little biased. I think uh, we have the best kind of intro, player intro in the business where we, we drop a curtain down and we do this thing uh, where we introduce our players with the big curtain in the middle. We, you know, we were trying to play off of Hollywood, movie theater. That's kind of what we were trying to go after. And again, it's just ambiance. We we're trying to set the ambiance, something that you can get at a Lakers game that you can't get in your living room. And it is getting tougher because um, you know, you can go out and get a 100-inch screen TV that's HD and you basically feel like you're on the court. So that, that is a challenge, but I think we, uh, that's kind of a challenge to us to keep upping our game to make sure that the experience when you go to a game, uh, it's unlike anything else you'll experience in the city. So, you know, that, that's something that we're proud of, but we, we keep trying to up the ante on that end. I think for us, um, same thing, same theme, um, probably implemented in a soccer-specific way. And if um, there are soccer fans out here, you know, and especially if you've either been to games here or sometimes overseas, it can be an amazing atmosphere in terms of fan participation and supporter. The supporter culture is awesome, and, um, you know, we know that. So we're building a soccer-specific stadium, and we have the, we're planning to have the what we call the steepest rake, so the steepest angle of any MLS team in the league. And so... And we have this roof that curves over, so the sound will be nuts. And then um, we're going to have a you know huge section, huge <laughs> section for supporters only. And we're going to, and we haven't announced any of this stuff yet. But we're going to put some things in there that I think will make that like an incomparable experience. And so, um, and it's great for the people in that section, but it's also really amazing for folks who are not. They maybe not up for that task, but also just kind of want to want to see it as part of you know part of the whole experience. So that's um, one way that you know we hope to do. And then also just making sure the actual experience, amenities, and whatnot are are top notch. But it's a communal aspect. That's yeah, the supporters' culture is is awesome. Obviously, and you know in soccer and seeing it, you know with the Galaxy, you know uh, our club here, and and even in 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 Germany, you know we have a hockey team in Berlin, and it's the same thing. Like. They have the supporters section, the supporters club, very similar to, to the soccer or football. And those that section creates the tone and atmosphere for the game. Like they don't need as many of the music and the lasers because that chanting and these guys jumping up and down the whole game literally provides the atmosphere. And it, it's amazing to see. I mean, and they plan out the chants, they, the songs, everyone's in sync. I mean, it's, it, it's really cool. It's very cool to see. That'll be you. That'll be you with the hat. <laughs> All right, great. I, I want to switch into some talk about demographics for a little bit. Um, you know, <coughs> customer demographics are always changing. Um, there's a lot more combinations of cross-cultural uh, messaging. 
Toyota has actually mandated that their national TV spots have a diverse cast, diverse talent in the spots. Um, so this is for the panel, but how does your organization approach cross-cultural marketing? With hockey, it's a, it's it's tough. I mean, it's it's a northern sport. It's trickling its way down south. Uh, it's an expensive sport to play. You know, it's it's not like people basketball. People can go out and shoot hoops anywhere. Like you need to have skates. You need to get in there. So I mean, it's it's for us. It's finding ways to introduce the game. A lot of times, uh, you know, one of the things we recently did is partner with the YMCA um, here in in LA, and we're getting sticks and hands. You know, it starts with floor hockey. Getting there. You know, I think with demographics and and selling it, there's there's so many different things out there, and, and so many different ways you can market to folks. You know, your baby boomers, your Gen, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, they're all going to be consuming content and acting in a little bit different way. And so we need to be cognizant of that. We need to understand who our season ticket members are right now. How, excuse me. How do they need to be marketed to? How should we talk to them? What type of content should we produce? And then the people who are up and coming who may not have money for season tickets, how are we engaging them so that in five years, ten years, they're ready to go and, and join us up? So I think it's a it's a constant struggle. Um, you know, we are not as diverse as, as other sports are, and that's a challenge that we you know try to attack head on. Um, you know, we're trying to find inroads, we're trying to get sticks in hands, tell the game, you know, really get people to experience it. And once you get to experience it, it's it's like nothing else. So. I think for us, you know, obviously soccer is a global sport and, you know, L.A. is a global city and um, it's a really important part of who we are as a club. And I think, um, you know, back to what I'd said before about one of our pillars is really about authenticity. You know, it's really making sure as much as we can that it's we reach our audience, you know, and so that means, you know, our staff as close as possible reflects the audience and speaks multiple languages um, and then in our, in our ownership and then, you know, that translates into how we um, conduct all of our business through all the different channels. It's still, you know, we have a long way to go. You know, we have, um, uh, you know, we need, this, need a lot more kind of, or we'll be building up our internal resources, but I think um, in the meantime, we've taken kind of a quality over quantity approach, so it's more like doing rather than saying. So, for example, um, you know, for our really important Hispanic Latino community, you know, we host a, you know, several tournaments that are out in areas where there are, you know, it's not part of the big club system that's part of soccer. There's a lot of unaffiliated clubs with tons of talent, but it's just, there's not a lot of, you know, per se, you know, generally money to pay for all these tournaments or have a club. So we're going out there and hosting tournaments and partially for talent ID, but partially just to provide greater access. So, you know, we, we're building up that capability, but um, trying to start it from the beginning to have that perspective since it's such a big part of our sport. Uh, it's a, been a learning process for us because the opportunity here in Los Angeles is so vastly different than what it was in St. Louis. And so we have to learn. We have to learn how to market to these um, these different groups and we have to do it in an authentic way. And so um, we could point to Hispanic Heritage Month as an example. So uh, that's big. That's a, a national NFL platform. We want to localize that here in Los Angeles. But how do we do that authentically? You know, we do it with, you know, by, by approaching some of our partners who have an authentic way to do it. So Corona, for example, and Univision and partnering with them to be able to um, help us uh, present our message and, and, and do it in, in a way that's genuine and not, not in, a, in a salesy type way. We're trying to get them to buy tickets and more of a introducing ourselves and trying to build the fan base, develop the fan base. Um, the Hispanic demographic is, is just off the charts from a league standpoint. And so 
uh, that really applies to things out here in LA. And so that's for us, um, and there's, there's other obviously focuses as well, but that's, that's one, but um, to jo kind of to Joanne's point, we, we have a, a long way to go in, in our process. Uh, for us, the I mentioned earlier that one of the things that always gets mentioned when we have conversations is about um, the 365. Well, there's basically three things, including the 365. So it's that, um, your community outreach, CSR uh, approach, that's very important to, brand, to brands now. And the last thing is never fails. What are your multicultural marketing efforts? Every single time. Um, we are... You know, lucky and blessed again that we have a, a good, solid, robust uh, fan base, uh, not only here, but in Mexico, South America, uh, you know, big Spanish speaking contingent. So it has put us in a position where we actually have to act on things and, and you know, having to do it actually is not the right terminology, but uh, we're the only NBA team that has a full time Spanish staff. So we have, you know, people that call the game in Spanish that travel with the team. We're the only NBA team that does that. Our teams are broadcast in Spanish language. We're the only team that that does that with a full-time staff. Um, so, you know, a lot of times, you know, teams will have somebody call a game from their living room. They're watching the game on TV and they're calling it out in Spanish, but they're not actually at the game. We, we you know, we, we wanted to bring a more authentic experience to the fans. Um, and authenticity, somebody mentioned it up here, that, that's really the key. People have to believe that, that you are being authentic, your messaging is real. Um, it, it's funny because you know, we, we've had the Spanish language um, outreach programs for some time now, but it's taken some time for people to really gravitate towards it because uh, you know, I'm of Hispanic descent, my aunts and uncles grew up watching it in English because you know, Spanish stuff never existed. So even up until recently, a lot of people were still only used to, you know, they didn't know English, but they knew what double dribble was because they, they, they grew up watching it and hearing it in, in English. So that was, I think, a challenge that we didn't fully kind of foresee, but we're, what we're starting to do now is we're, we're trying to tailor make content. You know, we just launched uh, Lakers.com in Espanol. So the content we just brought, again, somebody on full-time from a digital and social standpoint, because we're trying to create authentic content and authentic broadcasts. So it is definitely a learning curve, even for, for the, the brands and teams that have been doing it for some time. Um, it, you always are, you're always learning the fans, and you know, that's kind of one of the areas where we learned, okay, we have to kind of, uh, they threw us a change up, let's try to adapt to that. So it's definitely interesting, it keeps you on your toes. If I can add one thing, it, it might take us off on a tangent, but it worked last time. So uh, the, the one thing I think, you know, in all of this that, that, you know, again, I don't know what industries you guys are in. You may be in sports. You may be in other types of industries. But we all see our, and I don't even call them consumers, our fans. Like, we have a lifelong view when we try to connect or engage with an audience. And I think that gives, you know, us a different viewpoint. It, sports is not transactional. We're not looking for a one-time ticket buyer. We're not, we're not launching a product and it's something you buy once and you're never going to buy again. It's not a movie that premieres once and we're worried about that big opening night and not concerned about what that consumer is going to do next in terms of where they flow within an organization and, and, and sort of the, the value chain and wherever they are in that, in that standpoint from someone in our social media or in our email database, someone playing hockey through one of our youth programs, someone watching on TV, someone 
going to five games and someone being a season ticket member. So in all, I think in the threads that I hear with everyone is that we're trying to find ways to connect with our consumers and engage them for life. And they may come in through different vehicles, but we're trying to figure out how we keep you forever. And then how your sons and your daughters, you know, um, grow with our brand. So, you know, you hear authenticity, connection, but that really has to do with, in everything we do, it's not transactional. We, w we want you to be with us for life. We've got about five minutes of this um, part of the panel session tonight. And one thing I want to touch on tonight is the difference between global and local branding. So can you all talk about some of the key differences between approaching something from your global brand perspective versus your local brand perspective? Are, are there differences or, or not? Yeah, I think there there are differences. Obviously, everybody has a different, um, you know, it, it's we have had global brands come to us with a local mindset, you know, trying to to figure out ways to leverage, you know, stuff very very locally. Um, it is still kind of unique to me that that we can pinpoint zip codes on Facebook like that. That's still odd to me, but it's something that we do from time to time. So. Um, there is a, a different approach, and, and it, it really does depend on the brand's vision and their goals. Um, if they just want to slap their name on the scores table and be seen by a few million people, then that's great. Give us money and we'll do that. But it's not really, you know, lately it's not something that a lot of brands, even from a global perspective, that, you know, what's that old saying? If you want to act globally, or if, if you want to think globally, you have to act locally. It's from a brand's per perspective, that's really what we've seen. That, you know, in order for them, if they create something here locally that thrives, you know, given the economy that Los Angeles specifically brings to the table, that's something that, you know, we've had brands take something that succeeds here and go to Europe with it or go to the East Coast with it. So uh, there is a difference, but I think it just really depends on the brand vision, what they're coming to you with. Um, and then from there, you just kind of build something around what they're looking for. I think one of the uh, difficulties a lot of the leagues have or a lot of the teams have in sports is we actually don't have rights to just go market globally. You know, the league controls all those rights. And so we have to be very, very careful about what types of things we can actually do. Um, one of the coolest things that, that was just announced yesterday, actually, uh, is we're going to go play an NHL game in China uh, for the first time. Uh, so there's never been a game over there. They're extremely excited about hosting the Winter Olympics in 2022 and are putting together a multi-year plan to start getting people interested so they can uh, uh, build up a competitive team. So, uh, you know, that was a partnership. Uh, the Kings and the Canucks from Vancouver are going over there. You know, they looked at markets with, uh, with a high population where a lot of people travel to. Um, you know, they, they looked at a variety of things. And I think, you know, it's an opportunity for us. And so... You know, what we did is we learned a little bit about the Chinese culture and Kobe's really big over there and David Beckham and the number eight's really big over there. So we took our number eight, Drew Doughty, you leveraged a couple of relationships we had and had David and Kobe intro Drew as the guy to follow in hockey. So we leveraged a lot of those influencers that have big people over there to, to try to get there. So, you know, I think that's one cool thing that we did. Uh, the other neat thing that we did this year too is we actually launched a partnership uh, the first ever hockey partnership 
between three different leagues. So the NHL, the AHL, and the DEL. So our three teams that we own um, in LA, Ontario, and Berlin uh, all signed on with the same sponsor. And so talking about activating a partner uh, globally, you know, that was really our chance. They were looking in to, get, to get into the Southern California market, really increase their US foothold. And it was really a German relationship that ended up turning into a uh, uh, US one. So. The cool thing about hockey is that, you know, we have a very international player base. So, you know, Slovenia, you know, other parts of Eastern Europe, obviously Canada. So, you know, while we have certain, you know, areas that we focus, you know, have to focus our marketing on, you know, those fans in those countries follow that player who they feel a nationalistic tie to and then, of course, become connected to the Kings. So, you know, sort of vis-a-vis -vis that international makeup of our player base, we are and become relevant in the different countries that our players play for. And, you know, I know that's, you know, in basketball, there are examples and certainly in, uh, in soccer as well. You, you know, you can connect with global markets through having a player that is from that market. And, and Mike, um, you know, the NFL is playing in Mexico City and playing in London. So how does that affect the LA Rams? Right, so we'll play our second game in London this year. Um, the challenge we have is we can't activate our brand over there. So to Aaron's point, you, you draw a 75-mile radius around uh, the city of Los Angeles, we can't activate our, our marks and logos outside of that radius. So, um, so you run into a problem where, you know, you have a partner like American Airlines that wants to do something big over there, but you can't. And so... Um, but the league is very interested in expanding over there. And so you, you see they've been trying to, um, you know, the Jaguars have played four years in a row over there. And so you, you start to see that the, the league maybe wants to try to, to put a team there. But all the fans over there are just fans of the sport. They're not fans of an individual team. You go to a game over there and it's a patchwork of jerseys. It looks like a quilt, a made, a quilt of every team that, you, that is out there um, when you see it. And it, it's cool. It's a different experience. But... Um, I've always thought the best way for the league to enter London is to sell a season ticket that just revolves the teams in and out. And so you just have, you see them all because I, I can't see anybody over there really catching on unless the league goes all in and that's going to be a risk. I think for us, obviously, soccer is a very global sport. And so, um, but it is what's, I mean, and uh, we, what's worked for us so far is really staying true to who we are. And then that, that has seemed to appeal to either fans overseas as well as other clubs um, overseas. You know, we've been approached by a bunch of different clubs overseas to do uh, kind of, you know, partnerships on all kinds of levels, um, be it from straight soccer to more uh, marketing partnerships. And so it remains to be seen how it all plays out. But I think what has worked so far is it's kind of like what you said, Tyrone, where it's like we are who we are. Um, part of our core brand is to uh, represent the globe, um, and that's appealed so far. And um, and sometimes that's different for other MLS teams, and sometimes it's the same. But I think that folks have articulated that they see that that's what we are. That's part of our inherent um, partnership. So you know, for us, it's mainly through early uh, conversations with other clubs. Then I think um, from a PR perspective, even when we had our our crest launch, which literally was launching our colors and our logo. I mean, at, the, at its most basic level, we made a whole thing of it, but we were thrilled because uh, we actually got uh, way more international coverage and from, you know, very big kind of soccer market. So it's a first step. It's first step to building the presence globally. Excellent. So do you think this panel has got game? Give it up for the panel. Thank you. All right. It's approximately 8.15. We do want to open the floor up to questions. Who's got their hand up first? Ooh, this gentleman was quick. Brendan. All right. Question for Michael. So 
the new stadium opening, I know it's a couple of years away, and the marketing capabilities are going to continue to evolve in, in it, the next couple of years. But curious what you're expecting or if it's hoping, um, given how state of the art the stadium will be, as far as data you'll be able to collect about fans in the stadium, MarTech capabilities you might be able to utilize in that stadium that generally teams and stadiums aren't able to do today. It's a, it's a great question, and luckily we have a lot, a lot of people that are smarter than me that are working on that. Um, but as technology continues to evolve, like I could point to a, you know, a meeting that we had with a, a company that is in the rideshare business here, and uh, you know, utilizing Beacon Technologies to let fans be dropped off at the premium entrances or the regular entrances where they need to be dropped off because the stadium is going to be so, so large. This will be a global entertainment district. And so um, just for fans to know where they need to go and, and just utilizing technology like that just to help Wayfind and get out of the, the business of just having signs. So having fans download the app to, to tell them where they need to go and to, and to help them as they you know, navigate the stadium, especially, um, you know, as they're learning it. So, um, but it, it's, a, you know, we, we, it's, it's a question that we ask a lot and we, we know the world's going to change again by the time that, you know, that stadium opens. So um, who knows what we'll see, but it's going to be, uh, it'll be on the edge. This is a question for the uh, Kings organization um, and also AEG. So on the subject of the Chinese, uh, one of the largest markets to come over here for tourism. It's about 1.5 million approximately in California. Um, so even though the NHL kind of limits, I guess, how you market, but AEG is already a global footprint and you have all these different assets. Uh, are there already strategy and planning going on on how to uh, attract that Chinese market in the local area? Because you do have some Chinese entry going already in the NHL and then you've obviously got the uh, Olympics that are I've read quite a bit about it. It looks like a pretty exciting opportunity. I mean, definitely. You know, that's, you know, we, this opportunity came up in the last really six months where us going over there really did. And, and we haven't done very well with that community yet. But, you know, I think it goes back to what everybody was talking about here. We can, we can put up as many heritage nights or as many theme nights or whatever, but you really have to make it tie to that community. And so if we're going to do, you know, a good example of somebody who's really done well is the Warriors. Um, and I, you guys do some stuff too, right? From not as much as the Warriors. Yeah. They do an excellent job. I mean, they, they really, you know, they've gone over and they play. They have clinics there. But then they're dealing, doing uh, partnerships with, you know, either local uh, tourism bureaus or international ones. Uh, when they come in, there's specific heritage nights, but then there's also opportunity for people to learn about the games. So, you know, I think it's... If you're going to do it, you need to go all in. You need to say, we're, we're in through this. If, it's, if you're hosting a heritage night, for instance, y you need to have different types of people, different types of influencers, tell the story. How do you tell the story beyond? Create great partnerships. You know, we have our uh, camps and clinics team actually go to Shanghai last year, and this year they're going to Shanghai and Berlin. So, you know, it goes back to really being authentic. And, you know, especially with a new market that does not know the game that well, we have to tell the story, we have to teach the game, but then we have to really make that connection because there's a reason, you know, one of the agencies that we brought in to work with us, um, you know, said so many people just go up and they put up a, you know, uh, something on Weibo or Tencent or the different networks out there, but they don't actually communicate to the community or know what they're interested in. So you really, it's the, the word we used a lot up is, is being authentic and really going in on it and making it about that and making them feel special. What are you doing though locally right in the San Gabriel Valley 
mm -hmm. has 800,000 Chinese living there. Nothing yet. <laughs> I mean, we definitely will. Like, th that's again something that have we done anything yet? No, we haven't. Um, you know, I think that's something that we're really looking at to figure. Okay, we have a global strategy. We know that we can't go into Shanghai, can't go into Berlin and activate our brand. We can do a couple of certain things. Maybe we get creative with a couple of the AG facilities over there. But locally, it's trying to understand. Okay. When we get in there, how are we going to tell our story? What type of uh, initiatives are we going to do? How are we going to get in the community? How are we going to host people at games? How are we going to gather that interest more? So I think it's something that is is something that we're extremely looking at and, and vetting out what our strategies are going to be. Okay, this side of the room. Uh, okay. Adam, you had one earlier. Hi everyone, Natalia with the Los Angeles Football Club. Um, I think Michael, you teed it up pretty well earlier with your answer on the last panel. In terms of uh, some of the challenges and how do you overcome them that trickle down from the league level, for example, not being able to, you know, market overseas or even, you know, NFL not being able to do highlights on social media or the current NBA problem with players resting and kind of, uh, you know, the marketing and uh, partnership level, et cetera. So how do you navigate some of the challenges that come down from the league level? Uh, well, it's, it's a great question. And so many times we find ourselves just playing the hand that we're dealt at the league level. And, you know, not to badmouth them, but they, it's a very slow-moving league. And so they won't uh, make decisions quickly. And so they'd rather, you know, wait and analyze um, a situation like the, like the streaming, for example. Um, the situations where, where the clubs would like to, so they see an opportunity, but the league is saying, let's take a strategic approach to this. And so um, really just making the best of, of what we have and within the, the rules that we can play. Um, you know, the NFL is, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, we, we, we lease our marks and logos from the league. You know, the teams don't own them. And so it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a model they have that's worked really well. And so we have to, we have to abide by their rules. And, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a unique opportunity. But sometimes we would like for things to move faster than they, than they do. But I think that's just the nature of the beast and what we've come to, to, to just make the best of. You know, and, and from the Kings end, you know, we've really wrapped our arms around the NHL and embraced the NHL. And, you know, from having the draft here many years ago um, to having the first outdoor game, you know, on the West Coast with, with, at Dodger Stadium um, to then playing in Levi Stadium against San Jose, you know, right after that to then having the All-Star game here just this year to celebrate our 50th and, and dovetail with the centennial and now going overseas with, with China. I think, yeah, at times, again, you know, we're in the marketplace. We want to be nimble. We want to be quick. We want to be aggressive. And the league, you know, at, at times in, in general can move slower than the pace of your local market. And I think they'll recognize that. On the flip side, if you can work with them, and embrace them and say, hey, we want to be the guinea pigs for all the stuff you're doing. You can actually really benefit your in your local market, but also from a, from a global perspective. So I think we really try to dig yeah, in with you know, them like and push them along and also grow kind of with the stuff they want to send out? What sort of uh, social media campaigns would you do to engage the audience or turn We've actually around? talked about that, about that a lot recently because we're in the midst of uh, season ticket renewal too. Uh, for everybody knows, season tickets provide most of the business. And the messaging you provide to your core members on when do you raise the red flag and say, you know what, we're done for this year. And we've been debating that a lot lately. I mean, we, we started off a month ago having an 80% chance of making the playoffs. And as of today, I think it's like a .02. Um, we still got a chance. Uh, but uh, 
Um, but but you have to you have to see how it goes. You have to know. You have to analyze your flows. When when are things coming in? And you know, recently when we got down into the under one percent chance, you know, then you're looking at okay, what are our storylines? And we're fortunate that we've played six to eight new players this year that we brought up from the AHL. And so, you know, part of us is like okay. You know, we're good, we're good, we're good, we won cups, now that's over. Like, that's happened, people are tired of that. Now it's like, okay, what's coming? What makes us excited about the future? And I think that's what all of us have to figure out to do is, you know, even when I was with the Raiders, you know, it was, we were not good. We were, you know, 4-12 and 12 every year, Jamarcus Russell times, things were not good. Don't knock 4-12. and 12. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw many of those games in person. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you have to be ready to adjust. You have to be nimble, and you have to know the storyline. I mean, and then I'm going to go back to being authentic. Like, we can't make up something to make it seem like it's really good. We actually have to back it up. And, again, we're fortunate this year that, you know, we have a lot of young players that are coming that have been in the league for the first time. And so a lot of our messaging right now is around those guys, around seeing the future, around seeing what it's going to be like. Uh, with our core, we still have amazing players. Uh, we still have Kopi, Carter, Dowdy, Quick. Those guys aren't going anywhere for five years. Then you bring it up with a couple of young players, you make a couple of tweaks. You know, we believe we can compete every single year, and that's the, that's the nice thing. That's always our message, no matter through good or bad, is, you know what, it was a bad year, we're going to compete next year. So, you know, I think, yeah. And I'll tell you what, this, and this is the cool and fun part of working in sports, but also the challenging part. Like if you, I don't know, you make a product, you develop that product, you test that product, you have a reasonable expectation of how that product is going to perform. In sports, you don't know. You could be the eighth-seeded team, that, and an eighth-seeded team has never won a Stanley Cup in the history of the NHL that's been around almost 100 years, and guess what? You win the Cup. Well, that was the Kings in 2012. Or you could be behind 3-0 and in a playoff series. And only two other teams in the history of the NHL had ever come back to win a playoff series behind 3-0. and And then, oh yeah, we did that and then we win the cup. And that was us in 2014. Or you could win the cup and the next year not even make the playoffs. And guess what? That was us. So that's the cool thing about sports. That's the challenging thing about sports. But, you know, if you're in it, you, you got to be able to adapt. Thank you very much. Let's give another warm thank you for our panelists. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger. And Icebox Logic.